pitch and bang! Bang, bang, bang! It's gone! Welcome to Stumps. Yes, a big warm welcome to Stumps. And boys, and there plenty to get through over the next little while. Tristan Fernanda back in the host chair. Not too far away. Mervyn Gregory Hughes in his usual co-hosting position. Uh, Got a lot to look yes, forward to. Friend. I'll get to you in a tick, Mervyn. I know you're just jumping out of your skin to... Uh, to uh, fire up after the Aussies' success, but I'll just let everyone know what they've got on the way. Ben Lachlan from the Adelaide Strikers after their win last night. Uh, I had an in-depth interview with Jason Crazier about the art of spin bowling and also nurturing the next crop of uh, Australian future spinning stars. And a little later on, Mark Howard from Channel 10 uh, previewing the big Melbourne derby between the Renegades and the Stars. As I now say, welcome to you, Merv. Good to see you. Uh Bit excited, very excited. Listen, um, great series for for Australia. They've turned it around. Club cricket all over the place. The big bash is going off. The women's big bash lead. The Rebel League is going off. Um, everyone back into club cricket, as I said. But uh, also a lot of rep cricket and junior rep cricket and country week cricket starting up next week. So exciting time for um, all cricketers around Australia at the moment. And uh, very excited to be here myself. And of course, happy New Year to all our listeners. Yes, happy New Year to you, Merv, and to all our listeners and it started in the best possible way for the Aussies. A win by 220 runs if you haven't caught up to speed. Pakistan came in at 1 for 55. Well, they started the day's play at 1 for 55. They lost 4 for 41 shortly thereafter and uh, they were staring down the barrel of a a massive defeat. They provided a bit of resilience late in the piece but uh, it was all but a foregone conclusion in the second innings with uh, O'Keefe taking three wickets, line two, and uh, Hazelwood uh, also taking three in the second innings. Yeah, listen, they did well, and probably that was the strength of the Australian side over the the three tests was their evenness across the board where they didn't rely too heavily on too few to get the job done. And, And Pakistan, for me... Uh, their senior players let them down a bit. Uh, Miss Barrel Huck was out of form. Um, we saw a, an innings in the first innings of this test match by Eunice Khan, who, who got a big hundred. But apart from that, they didn't really give the Pakistanis much. And listen, when Australia were 465 in front, um, one for 55, as you said, overnight, the Pakistanis. Gee, you, you just thought that Australia were going to create enough opportunities to win this game. And, and when Azir. Isaiah Ali was out, that's easy for me to say, um, was out in the first (laughs) over. Uh, You just thought it was going to be a matter of time. Yeah, that it was. And look, it's remarkable how quickly one's fortunes can change as a team and what confidence will do because the Aussies were down and out and uh, everyone was quite critical about the cricketing landscape and what was going on, but uh, inspired selections, giving people opportunities and uh, that uh, youthful exuberance has paid dividends, it seems. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I was one that sort of called for calm and um, when we changed the side for that Hobart Test match and Cullen Ferguson came in and um, oh, the fast bowler from South Australia, how am I going? Many. Uh, many, yeah, Joe, I, I keep thinking Many, but it's Many. Yes. So Many <laughs> came in, um, played played only the one test and we had injuries to, to um, Peter Siddle. Um, he went out of the side and we had an injury to Sean Marsh and he went out of the side and um, there was that debacle where he got bowled out for 80-odd down in Hobart and it was doom and gloom and yet since then we've won four test matches off the back of Pete Hanscom who's, who's come in and done a great job. Renshaw's come in and done a fantastic job and um, Hilton Cartwright's come in for this test match and with the bat didn't look out of place. I think he only bowled about four or five overs in that first innings and that's the thing about Cartwright. He comes in as the all-rounder and people are scratching his head. Well, why didn't he bowl much? Well, 
that all-rounder is only going to be necessary if our front-line bowlers don't take wickets. Now, when you, you think that you know, Stark got a wicket and bowled reasonably well, Hazelwood got through, got three. Um, O'Keefe and Lyon both bowled well, and you're probably going to go with front-line spinners before you go uh, the part-time medium pacer, uh, and especially in Sydney on the last day. So he didn't get his opportunity, but gee, that, he did, didn't look out of place, Hilton Clark Cartwright. Now, I suppose the dilemma is, do you take him to, to India? He's played in, in a winning test match. Um, he's done reasonably well, and I suppose the, um, the selectors have, have created a, a rod for their own back is that you would think that he would have to play that first test match in India, and that's only a couple of months away. Well, he played with poise. He looked balanced. He's a, an imposing figure at the crease. Uh, I, as a, a cricketing fan, fundamentally would have liked to see him bowl a little bit more just to see what he was capable of. Uh, before we talk about the real positives, Merv, another thing that had me scratching my head was the fact that we didn't see O'Keefe and Lyon bowl together for a, a long while, in fact, until this last day. Um, yeah, well, I suppose that's an interesting one, and, and Steve Smith would have his reasons for that. And I suppose as the ball got older, um, we saw Hazelwood getting a little bit of that reverse swing, and, and we know how good Stark is at that reverse swing. And I think um, he just liked to have uh, one one of the fast bowlers operating, um, and that's probably a, a captain's prerogative. But um, yeah, like yourself, I was, I was a little bit surprised. You picked two spinners for a reason, and um, it's not as though they're both bowling the same. Um, one's a left arm orthodox, the other one's right hand spin. So um, the other thing too, I suppose, is that you're bowling them to specific players where Lyon is more useful against the left-handers. O'Keefe is going to be more useful against the, the right-handers. Um, so there, there would be a, a reason for it and um, it'd be, be nice to find out that reason, I suppose. And that there certainly will. And uh, Merv, we're going to turn our attention to the batters because you touched on Renshaw and Hanscom and I don't reckon anyone could have predicted or hoped for a better start to their respective test careers Hanscom is going to be a star for many years to come, and we throw that word around a little lightly on occasion, but uh, what he's capable of is something quite special. While Renshaw, I reckon, silenced a few critics. People were talking about how his prod outside of off stump might have been a deficiency, and though we're not talking about the real upper echelon pace bowlers of world cricket and the Pakistanis, at least from what we saw, he's shown that he's more than capable. Yeah, it's an interesting one of the Pakistani bowlers, before I get to our batsman, was that the first test match they played three left armers, and I suppose that can work against the side. Um, a left armer is good, Mitch Stark's good, but he's the only one that plays. Um, and with Mitch Johnson, when they played, we had Hazelwood, or we had a Siddle, or we had someone else to, to bowl right arm. But when you've got three left armers, I, I suppose it makes it a little bit easier um, for our batsmen. But of Renshaw, listen, he's done a fantastic job since he's come in. And like you said, he, he sort of pushed forward and um, everyone was worried about him not taking a full step forward. But um, what he's shown, and he would have got a lot of confidence out of the last couple of test matches and he'd believe that um, he's, he's got a place in the Australian side going forward. So we don't know how bad that concussion is, but you wouldn't think it would keep him out of the next test match, with, which is about six weeks away. Um, of Pete Hanscom, um, he's been a good, solid contributor 
um, for Victoria. Albeit all he's been up and down the order, he's opened. Um, they've toyed with him wicket keeping. Um, he's batted anywhere from from one to six, uh, maybe seven at times. But the last probably. 18 months, I reckon he's become more stable around that 3-4 position and that 4 position in in general and, and that helps a, a guy get settled um, and he, he just looked every bit of test player right from his first innings and he's averaging well over 100, um, I saw him going into the this innings averaging about um, just under 90 but with that not out um, you'd, you'd think he'd be you'd, you'd have to think he'd be thinking about retirement wouldn't he um, to average 100 plus Tristan oh, I think once you're, you're there thinking. once you're there you've got to think about pulling up stumps because <laughs> it can't it's only, it's only going to go backwards from there isn't it we're just going to hear that big truck just beep beep exactly but he's not. He's in fantastic form, and, and that's what Australia... And he showed that he can play spin as comfortably as he can play quick. So um, I think he's going to be a real asset going to India um, going forward for those four test matches. Undoubtedly, he even showed his capabilities with the gloves on because Matt Wade, unfortunately, was waylaid uh, through illness and it even got uh, tongues wagging, people talking about the prospect of Hanscom maybe taking over behind the stumps. What do you make of that assertion? Um, I reckon that would be it. It would be just general chatter. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be the case because Hanscom doesn't keep for his, his state. And while he's a good fill-in keeper, um, imagine, him, imagine him doing that full-time and in India where it's going to be very, very tough for, for the, the wicket-keeper, um, and especially into to day three, day four, day five of test matches, and that's what Australia will be hoping, to take those test matches deep. And I wouldn't be surprised to, to see Neville come back in um, in place of Wade, but having said that, since Wade's been back in the team, uh, number one, the side's been winning, and number two, he's been pretty good. Um, he's, he's dropped a couple of those chances that we say, oh, the wicketkeeper should have got those, but um, by no means were they easy, um, and there's still a debate over who's the best gloveman, and, and he's not the best gloveman, but from what I've seen in the last couple of test matches from him, he's, he's not far away from it now. Well, we're going to cast our eyes into the crystal ball on the other side of our first break and look ahead in your thoughts, Merv, as to how the selectors might approach their selection for the upcoming India Tour. It is Stumps with Merv Hughes and Tristan Fernanda after Australia's big win, a clean sweep of the test series against Pakistan. Back with a whole lot more very soon. Full pitch and bang! Bang, bang, bang! It's gone! You're listening to Stumps. And great to have your company on this Saturday evening. Tristan Fernanda with Merv Hughes after Australia's big win. The big bash juggernaut just rolls on. And Merv, hot off the press, you were talking about Renshaw and the upcoming tour. Well, national coach and selector Darren Lehman has refused to guarantee him a spot on the plane to India. What do you make of this horses for courses notion? There's some suggestion that Sean Marsh, when fit, should be ahead of players like maybe Kawaja and Renshaw because of his uh, capability of playing spin. Um, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I suppose that would be Darren Lehman saying to a, a young bloke too, you've still got a lot of work to do. Um, so if he said, listen, he's a shoe-in for the Indian, Indian um, Test uh, Tour... Um, he might go off the battle, off the boil a little bit, but certainly by saying that, it's going to keep him focused and, and working hard. Um, so I, I think there's a, a, a few little mind games in there. And yes, Sean Marsh has, has to come back in. And um, the, the big question is, with Kawaja being in such great form, with Renshaw 
being in such great form, and with his injury being a long-term injury, like if you miss one or do two test matches, you come back in. But when you miss a few games like he's missed, um, then you've got to earn the right to come back in. So I think it's going to be pretty tough for, for Sean Marsh to get back into this side, but his capabilities against spin is good. We saw that in Sri Lanka last year when the Australian side faltered over there. He came into that last test match and made 100, albeit the side lost, but he got 100 and, and showed that he, he plays spin really well. Um, he plays on the subcontinent. He's not going to be afraid of that. So they're the things you take into consideration. Now, I've just done a, a, a quick... quick um, uh, bash up of the side that mm-hmm. uh, you're going to India that you asked for, and I've narrowed it down to about a squad of 25. It's funny, Merv. Every time we try this task, <laughs> we usually come up with 25 or 30, which means it's a bloody tough task for the selectors. Oh, it, it certainly is. And the thing about that, Tristan, is it's that's a good position to be in as a selector. Um, you've got options. Now, if you're wondering, if you're scratching your head and saying, well, who's going to come, be- come into this side, you've got a real problem. But when you've got um, the, the biggest worry is who to leave out, and then that's a, a big one. So just go through. You reckon Warner, um, Smith, Hanscom are safe? Yes. Okay. You reckon Rentshaw, um, ha- um, Rentshaw and Kawaja will go? I still reckon there's a bit of a question mark over Kawaja, and that's where Marsh may be able to come back in. Um, if you've still got Cullen Ferguson on the periphery, um, he won't go away, but I doubt whether they'll take him to India. The the number six spot, Cartwright, Maxwell or Mitch Marsh. Um, so depending on whether they want to play two spinners. And with Maxwell, they may well play three spinners. So um, it'll be an interesting one to see who gets that number six spot. How, how do you um, feel about that move? Because it, it seems the... Strong suggestion is that two's a guarantee, three is perhaps desirable, but given comments made by both Maxwell and then subsequently Darren Lehman, he seems a fair way from the test reckoning. Yeah, but a fair way on Australian soil. Um, In India, I think Maxwell would go very well, and I'm not saying that that Cartwright and and Mitch Marsh wouldn't be able to handle the situation. I just think horses for courses. We've gone over Mm -hmm. there, we've played two spinners in the past, we've played our all-round has always been a third seamer, and we've done no good. So if you're going to keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same result. So I reckon we, we can, we can um, sort of mix it up a little bit and there's an opportunity to play Maxwell in those Indian conditions. And then you come down to, to Wade and Neville. Um, as, as I said, gee, after the, four test, the last four test matches, you would be unwilling to drop Wade, wouldn't you? Um, you know, probably we all identify that Neville's a better gloveman, but what Wade has done has, has been fantastic. So I'd, I'd probably stick with Wade as your wicketkeeper. Um, then you've got Stark, Hazelwood, they're, they're the shoe-ins. Now, if Cummings, Pattinson, Siddle get fit, um, you've still got Bird there. You've got Sayers and Meany. What, what do we do with those? Oh, I suppose if Cummings and Pattinson and Siddle are fit, Sayers and Meany are, are going to drop off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the way I look at it. O'Keefe and Lyon with their performance in this test. Um, Lyon with his performance over the last nine years, really, he's got to keep his spot. O'Keefe, remembering back to Sri Lanka, that first test match... Um, Australia were on top until he went down with a hamstring and then um, the the Australian woes started and continued throughout. But m- make no mistake, Australia were had Sri Lanka four for 60 in the second innings 
um, and they were still, I reckon, 40 runs behind when, when he went down with a hamstring injury. And after that, we, we didn't really look like it. But he, he bowls slow. He's got no height. He doesn't get much bounce. And that seems to be the, the go over in the subcontinent. And then there's cries for let's pick a leggy. Well, OK, let's pick a leggy, but which one? Um, no one really has been dominating first-class cricket. Um, we get a little bit confused, I reckon, with the Matador Cup. Some leggies have done well with the 2020. Uh, the Big Bash, they've done well there, but not too many of them are doing well at, at first-class level. So do you gamble on a young leg spinner in India? Um, I think it's probably worth the risk. Um, but then again, who do you drop, O'Keefe or Lyon? So plenty of questions to be answered by the Australian selectors. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what they decide. Speaking of the selectors, the one-day squad for the upcoming series against Pakistan commencing in Brisbane next Friday has been announced and there are two casualties, Merv. Yes. Uh, Aaron Finch and George Bailey have been omitted from the squad. Chris Lynn gets an opportunity, and you'd have to well, say you deservedly would, so. You, you would think so. No, I reckon the selectors would have been strung up to a man. <laughs> if uh, what, what he's done, and, and I know it's Big Bash, and it's a different form of game, but what he does, it, like he's, he's like Davey Warner. He, yes, he hits a big ball, but he's defence. He picks the ball to hit, and geez, watching, watching him dismantle Mitch Johnson in Perth the other night, you just sit there and think, geez, not only has he got some talent, he's got some balls too. Yeah, that he certainly does. The other uncapped player is Billy Stanlake, who did extremely well last night, a, a lanky paceman. I don't know how much you've seen of him, but uh, he looks a player of the future. Um, yes, he does. He does. He, he's got good pace. He's got good mix-up. Um, I watched him last night, and, and Hodgie, um, the strikers' captain, uh, speaks very highly of him. He's, he's, he seems to be quite adaptable. Um, so, yeah, but Finch, unlucky, and Bailey, you would think that that would be the end of his one-day career. He's made 150 in his past 10 ODIs, and the selectors, uh, you'd have to say, look, rightly uh, pointing out that uh, he's not in desired form, nor is Aaron Finch, who has been a bit hit and miss of late, but he's still going great guns for the Renegades. Speaking of them, they are in action against the Stars a little bit later on. We'll preview that with Mark Howard from Channel 10 on the other side of this. Ben Lachlan from the Strikers, and still to come, Jason Crazier here on Stumps. Great to have your company on Stumps. Heaps going on in the world of cricket. The Aussies salute once again. A whitewash against Pakistan, this time by 220 runs at the SCG. More on that in a moment. The Adelaide Strikers back to winning ways with a five-wicket win over the Hobart Hurricanes. A big game tonight in Melbourne between the Renegades and the Stars. Mark Howard from Channel 10 to join us. Jason Crazier, former Test spinner, not too far away. And in a moment, we'll catch up with Ben Lachlan of the Strikers. Tristan Fernanda, my name, Merv Hughes, is back for the ride. And Merv, there's a heap going on and don't we love it? Oh, mate, there is a heap going on. And uh, I tell you what, if you haven't been watching the Big Bash, um, you shouldn't be listening to this show. Seriously. Um, the, the cricket has just been phenomenal over the last couple of weeks. We've had the Australians, uh, the Boxing Day Test match, 
um, the, the Sydney Test match and comfortable wins to Australia after some really good team performances, it, it must be said. And um, you tune in each night to the, the Big Bash and, and some of the games, just going down to the wire, the, the Stars-Thunder game, you know, you would have thought, thought the Stars were going to win that. And all of a sudden, Morgan pops up and, and hits Benny Hilfenhaus for about 16 off the, the last over and gets a six off the last ball to, to win the game there. And you've got Chris Lynn hitting sixes everywhere and he'd be excited as being... being um, Selected in the Australian one-day side and, and sound like uh, the, the big fella from, from the strikers. He's, he's in the one-day squad too. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity for guys that are doing well. And just cricket's at a really good place at the moment, I reckon. And it's the evenness and unpredictability of everything that makes it so enjoyable, not knowing what's going to come. And in fact, the thinking teams have been written off, yet turn things around as they did uh, earlier in the week. The Sydney Thunder against the Stars, as you pointed out. Well, one team that needed to get back on track was the Adelaide Strikers. They did so in style with a five-wicket win against the Hurricanes. It was the Hobart side batting first. They finished at eight for 161, due largely to the partnership between Bo Webster and also Jonathan Wells. 67 for Webster, 55 for Wells. Uh, Jordan took three for the Strikers, and they were then uh, guided by Ben Dunk. 79 not out of 49 deliveries. Joining us to reflect on that performance and to look ahead and uh, reflect broadly about the Big Bash as a whole is one of the stars of the Strikers, and uh, Ben Lachlan's been good enough to join us. Ben, thanks for your time as always here on on Stumps. Congratulations. A, a good win just to get back on track. Yeah, thanks boys. Afternoon. Yeah, it was a lovely win to get on track there, but an interesting game. But yeah, nice to sneak away with the win in the end. You had them on well, the they... ropes for quite early. I mean, uh, they lost five early wickets, it seemed, Ben. And how difficult is it from the perspective of players in that position to to make sure you keep pedal to the metal to, to really drive home the early ascendancy that you gained? Yeah, well, yeah, five for 30 and to get one uh, 160 in there was an amazing effort by the boys. Yeah, Wellesley and uh, Bo Webster were pretty amazing partnership there, and we sort of um, lost our way a bit through the middle there, but lucky enough, Ben Dunk's banging him and uh, got us home. Well, the big thing there was, as you said, Ben Dunk, he's, he's been a great addition to your team this year. He comes out and smashes it, but five for 30, um, I suppose with that, you think you're a real chance to bowl him out for about 80, but the par score... Um, would be would have been about 170, 175. So for them only to get 160, while they did recover, as a bowling group, you'd be pretty happy with that? Yeah, pretty happy. And I think um, Hodgie sort of spent some resources early, kept attacking with Billy there. And if you have a crack at Billy, sometimes it comes off with um, all the pace and bounce he gets. So, yeah, but they played... Mwazi played really well there to get him back in the game and took a lot of character, I think, to keep playing in shots like they did at that, uh, yeah, well, that position. So made it quite interesting. Yeah, made it very interesting. Watching the game, it just looked like Hodgie himself started the press for a, a quick kill. And as you say, he kept going with Stanlake, and that didn't come off. They, they got a bit of him. And then I suppose what I've really noticed about this big bash is that the spin bowlers and the bowlers that are taking pace off are the keys. And that the faster bowlers, um, the wickets are, are really good. And you've got blokes like Chris Lynn, you've got blokes like Dunk, you've got blokes like Travis Head, who really hasn't... Um, uh, come to the fore yet, but they, they just like hitting through the line of the quicker bowlers. For you, you're, you've got um, a variety of slower balls. How important is that in your success? Yeah, it's been um, pretty useful, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't really bowl too many in the first game and got met, so yeah, a real rethink of the game plan and um, yeah, it's coming out a bit better, but it um, wasn't amazing last night, but yeah, I'll take, we'll take the win, so that was good, but yeah, as you said, the, the chains-ups are huge. The boys are so set up these days for hitting 
130 to 150k an hour just down the ground so beautifully. So, yeah, it's definitely need a lot of variety to keep them boys guessing. You've touched- well, it's interest- it's, sorry, Tristan, to jump in. i just got one quick question. I'll throw it at uh, Benny while we've gone in. Um, as you said, you, you bowled uh, pace on the first first game you played and you got met. It was a slow start, not only for yourself, but, but for um, the strikers. So for you guys to come back um, and your performance, two for 10 against the Sixers, two for 33 against the, the Hurricanes, it must be satisfying for you. Not only the team's turned it around, but you've turned it around and you're starting contribute to contribute to that success. Oh, definitely. I'm pretty, pretty proud cricketer. So yeah, getting dropped for the second game hurt a fair bit, and I uh, needed to step up when I got another chance. So yeah, well, that was a pleasing note on my behalf. But yeah, just uh, probably reassuring that doing uh, my best ball play, my slow ball. So yeah, stick to it and keep doing those things right. Good to catch up with Ben Lachlan here on Stumps after the Strikers' big win over the Hurricanes to keep their top four chances alive. Ben, we've touched on Billy Stanlake already, but he's been included in the Aussie One Day squad, which is probably deserved reward for effort for, for those that have seen him play. Tell us what he's like to play alongside. Oh, Billy's a lovely weapon to have in your team. I definitely wouldn't like to face him, that's for sure. He's, um, I think the wicket was very fast last night, but he still showed that 150k an hour is from... Nine foot ten is pretty um pretty intimidating. So I think the boys here are kind of happy with going away because the net sessions haven't been too much fun. But uh, obviously a huge loss for us. But awesome work from Bill. He's um yeah as long as he can stay in the park and get his body right, God, there's a big future ahead for him. And consist- consistency. Sorry, Merv. Consistency in the big bash is if you can get your. Uh, consistency going, it can prove to be invaluable because uh, of the unpredictable nature of the game. Uh, why have you found it so hard as a unit to uh, to gain any sort of rhythm, seemingly, so far in this tournament? Um, oh, not sure there. It's probably just a, probably a few new members to the, to the team. Like, uh, we've lost both our spinners, so two new spinners have to come in. And just kids who haven't played any cricket, really. It's hard to get chucked in the deep end and expect them to perform as well as some of the test veterans we've had bowling spin for us. So we're getting there, though. The more games they play, the more they get confidence out there and keep attacking. So, yeah, hopefully we're going to have to do it a bit different this year. We've only lost, what, one game each season for the last two years. So hopefully we come in on the back of a four-run winning streak and continue winning through it in the finals. Well, that's the big thing. You don't, you don't want to be winning it early in the, in the series of the Big Bash. You want to be winning, winning it late. And it, it seems that you guys have got that measure right. Now, if you keep winning, obviously you, you make the four. But how, how much of a calming influence is, is the captain, uh, Brad Hodge? He's, oh. a, he's a pretty laid-back sort of a character. And I reckon there'd only be one more, even more laid-back in your side, and that would be Pollard. Um, as senior players, they, they must keep the group fairly calm. Yeah, Hodge's... Um Oh, amazing. God sent, really. I think um, we'd be nowhere without Hodgie, so he's playing really well and just, yeah, calm demanded, but he does give us a rocket when we need it, so he, um, he does all, all fronts there, and he's banging them. So there was a point in the game last night, I think at Kingston bowled the, might have been the eighth or ninth over, and Hodgie saw that and took him down, and I think he took 18 off the over and just pretty much diced the game there, and then made it quite easy for everyone else to get through, so he's an amazing player, can bat anywhere. I think you scored 130 for the Eastie Sandingham boys today, so probably, <laughs> uh, probably on the way to getting five for as well. <laughs> as we let you go, Ben, uh, tonight will be a good scouting exercise for you because you've got the Stars followed by the Renegades. Uh, are you an avid cricket watcher yourself, and how much can you glean from uh, watching on the box? Uh, yes, I'm a horrible snuff. The boys give me so much. I don't miss a ball with Big Bash, so I cop a fair bit of crap from the boys about that, so... 
we've actually got a celebratory dinner tonight for Bill for all the boys who stay in our apartments in uh, in Adelaide. But I've made sure the Indian restaurant's got a TV front and centre for us. Well, there'd be so no doubt be about it. In fact, knowing a lot of the Indian restaurateurs, the the <laughs> cricket screen is a necessity. Yeah, they're all over us. But no, big game tonight. So yeah, we've got to play both of these teams coming up. But yeah, the Renegades probably won't change too much when we play the Stars on um, Tuesday night. There might be a few changes there with the boys going off to the ODI squad. So. But no, definitely uh, we'll be watching with keen eyes tonight and see how they go. Ben, good to catch up as it always is here on Stumps. Good to see you back into a little bit of form. Let's hope you can continue to gain uh, that momentum. Send uh, Billy Stanlake our congratulations on uh, behalf of the Australian cricketing public. Uh, It's a a fantastic uh, achievement for him and we wish you well moving forward into the deeper end of the Big Bash tournament. Perfect. I've just got one for Merv actually, if that's all right. Yes, mate. Go ahead. Merv, do you remember in South Africa when I played my cutler one day, I took an yes, absolute I do. screamer in Joe in uh, the boring Joe Berg. Yeah. And it's it's never got any coverage. I'm really disappointed. I think it must have been four in the morning and we've won the series and no one really cared. Yeah, I, I mate, took a to be, Yeah, man, to be to be honest, I must have been at the bar, mate, because I, I can't remember. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> No, that's, that's very cruel. Yes, it was a good catch. And I reckon what, what we're going to have to do is send our viewers to Google to, to get that because um, Channel 9 aren't going to pay it because you're not in the... Well, hopefully you get into the one-day yeah. side going forward. And when, when you do that, they'll dig it up from the past and say, this is the right. last time this bloke played. So, mate, good luck with that. Um, Perfect. Yeah, going forward. So if uh, about, I reckon, three or four of the, the bowlers get injured, you're a chance. Is <laughs> that all? Perfect. <laughs> good on you, Ben. Uh, I ben, found, well, I found a still image. It looks like a, a fantastic catch, like an overhead oh, mark, mark in footy. But uh, have to find the video. If we do, you have our word. We'll uh, we'll put it onto our Twitter so that you can celebrate with all our followers. So, Ben Lachlan, thanks Thank for God. joining us. Enjoy that Indian dinner tonight. <laughs> good yeah. on you, Benny. Thanks, Matt. Ben Lachlan joining us, Merv. He's a good character and uh, he's a, oh. a fairly handy cricketer as well. Mate, good character um, and, and great competitor. Um, Apple didn't fall too far from the tree there. Son of Trevor Lachlan, former Victorian all-rounder. Um, and he was a tenacious um, cricketer himself. So uh, Benny certainly got that trait from, from the old man. And, uh, mate, like you said, he got into the Australian side and um, had a, oh, a, a little bit of success. Um, on wickets that didn't really suit him and, and that was at a time where the Australian team was going through a lot of change um, and we had a few injuries and, and the team was really unsettled but um, geez, he's got some maturity and what he's done in the last two games for the strikers um, he's virtually, well you don't want to pull out any one player and say off the back of one player they've turned it around but certainly when uh, Benny Lachlan's going well any team that he plays in would be going well because he, he's a great bowler bowls um, good pace um, so sneaky pace and like he said like he said himself his strength is his change up and I, I reckon he'd have two, three four, maybe five slower balls and he mm-hmm. uses them um, very well and, and does deceive the batsman Well, we're going to move on from the strikers and the big bash to the art of spin, a feature interview I had with Jason Crazier, a two-part interview you'll hear very shortly. It's stumps all around Australia. Still to come, Mark Howard from Network 10, previewing the Renegades and the Stars. It's Merv Hughes with Tristan Fernanda back with a whole lot more very soon. You're listening to Stumps. 
Yes, good to have your company on Stumps. Merv Hughes with Tristan Fernanda. And Merv, one thing that is of great interest to me, I know you're a member of the fast bowling cartel, but that's the art of spin bowling. And uh, a man who has plied his trade at the highest level and took uh, 12 wickets on debut, believe it or not, over in India. I think you were selector at the time. He's also director of Elite Cricket, keen to talk about his coaching exploits and development uh, of this particular art. It's Jason Crazier who's been good enough to join us on Stumps. Jason, good to talk to you and welcome. No, thank you very much. Looking forward to a nice chat with you. Well, before we talk about coaching and your interests in that area, the development of spin bowlers around the country, what have you made of the summer of cricket so far? Mate, it's been uh, it's been up and down, hasn't it, for the Australians? I guess they, um, you know, in the South Africa time, they probably hit an all time low with with the way that they were playing their cricket and the results, obviously not going their way at all. So, um, but it's great to see how they're coming back up. You know, a few young blokes have been given an opportunity in the Australian team. Um, Renshaw's obviously taken with both hands, and Hanscom's averaging higher than Bradman, I reckon, at the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're going really well. Um, you know, test-wise, it's been fantastic. The one day's been good, and the big bash so far has just been phenomenal. Um, you know, the viewing has been incredible. From a bowling perspective and putting your spinner's cap on, I noticed there's been a, a little bit of criticism about the state of pitches and the, the way they've been manicured. Do you think spinners are on a hiding to nothing in the Australian vir- environment at times? Um, yeah, I do, actually. Um, it, they have just become extremely flat and, and very much all alike, even... Uh, in the Sydney Great Comp that I've been watching, um, I'm head coach of a, of a team, North Sydney in Sydney, and you know the, the wickets really don't favour spin at all. Um, there's been an interesting development in the Sydney Great Cricket. They're starting to use the Test cricket ball in first grade, so you've got mm-hmm. the Kookaburra regulation ball, which has more of a pronounced leather seam, and the Test ball is a lot smaller. Um, and now scores are 400 plus, which just you know regulation sort of scores. The bowlers can't swing the ball as much, and then they have a little bit more height and hit the wicket quite quite hard to get any sort of movement. And you know the grade the grade cricket bowlers who are bowling around 120, um, who used to take lots of wickets, just can't take a wicket anymore. So it sort of I guess it has brought the spinners into the game a little bit more because you didn't really get much of a role just because the, the wickets actually did you know quite a bit off the scene for the fast bowler. So mm-hmm. spinners are sort of I guess you know couple of hours before lunch and tea just to see if they can sneak a wicket and that was it so it has brought the spinners back in but they are very flat um and go put that hand in hand with the bats and how big they are um you know you can buy the bats that dave warner gets the big ones at kingsgrove sports and sports centers now so yeah. it really is um been very difficult for spinners to bowl what they want to do a little bit you know throwing the ball up you know, they've been relegated to a role of just trying to hold it in while the quicks have a break. So, but it is a different, it's a different challenge. So it does develop another skill set in, in spinners, which I, when I was playing, I didn't do that because I was always just told to be an attacking spinner. Um, and if they needed to tie an end up, they put, they brought someone else on. So I never really developed that side of my game a lot at all. Um, that's just how I was used and how I was always told to bowl. So, Spinners nowadays are getting the opportunity to develop that defensive side of the game as well, which is, you know, it, it is an advantage. It brings me to the Big Bash, and you touched on it earlier. It's hard to believe how successful it's become in such a short space of time. Do you feel that watching the Big Bash, people now have a greater appreciation for spin bowlers? Because I think you talk about that battle between bat and ball, and often mm. the, the speed onto the bat is a, a disservice for many sides, and you see the success of, of spinners in the Big Bash arena. 
Do you believe the, the shorter format has perhaps enhanced the profiles of a number of spinners? Yeah, it definitely has, and that was right from the beginning of it. You know, I played in the first 2020 game that was played, um, you know, we won with Andrew Johns, and right at the beginning, and the spinners that, you know, everyone in the media just said spinners are going to be hit out of the game, and I was very successful at that level. I spun the ball and I threw the ball up, so I enticed them to hit. But batters have got better at hitting, um, that's for sure. They're, they've got, you know, they do a lot more work hitting spinners more over the top and using their feet, you know, first ball. Um, but it, I think it has, you know, it has it has shown what skill spinners have in that and, and what sort of an advantage they have. And when you speak about taking the pace off the ball, using the flight and different speeds and, and, and again, as bad as it is that some sometimes when they're opening the bowl and they've just got to bowl fast, you know, almost seam up, seamers, they have developed another skill which that can translate into one day cricket or test cricket as well if needed. So, um, but you, you're right that there has been some young spinners um, who, have, who have really sort of come up through the ranks because of the, the way that they can bowl at 2020 level. A former test spinner, North Sydney head coach and also director of Elite Cricket, a coaching academy program. Jason Crazier joining us for a chat on stumps and we'll talk more about the coaching pathways in the not too distant future. Jason, you were a part of the, the revolving door of spinners, for want of a better term, at test level. And I ask you, do you think it came from a, a fundamental misunderstanding, almost an ignorance about the art of spin bowling at the time? Um, yeah, and I guess it, there, was, there was that part, and there was also what sort of role they wanted the spinner to be playing in that certain team of, particularly the fast bowlers, I think, when I, when I look back on it. There were a lot of attacking bowlers. You know, you had Mitch Johnson, who was going off 4-0. You had Brett Lee, who was doing something similar. Um, when I was in the World Cup, Sean Tate was there. They were very attacking um, fast bowlers that didn't weren't of the Hazelwood sort of, you know, Mulder bowling at one and a half, two and over. So they needed someone to defend. And that wasn't me. Um, and, you know, in India, I had the opportunity to attack and just continually attack. Um, and then when I went to Perth, which was easily the hardest, uh, test I've ever had in my life with the wicket being possibly the flattest. There was a huge gusty wind that just really was, un- it made the flight of the ball and the curve of the ball really unpredictable um, and no footmarks and De Villiers, Callis <laughs> and Amlar and Smith uh, all in form. So, you know, they, um, I got dropped after that game where they were, I think, four, chased down four, four for 440. None of the wicket, none of the bowlers could take a wicket. I ended up being the four guy, unfortunately. So, but, you know, mate, I had the opportunity to play there and I think I was lucky to play test cricket as well. There were a few spinners in front of me and there was due to injuries that I got picked on the India tour. Um, and also the World Cup, you know, I think Xavier Doherty was due to go and he had a back issue. So I'm very fortunate to have got the opportunity to play for Australia, which, you know, I'm sitting in my parents' house right now and my one-day jersey World Cup there is in a frame and I look at it and still, you know, count myself quite lucky to have, to have made the top level. But, you know, I, I did... Um, and I'm, I'm proud of that because I did work quite hard to do it. Well, you should be, and you've done something so many people only dream of, and mm. you can look back fondly on, on a, an outstanding performance in India. And I'll just briefly discuss this upcoming tour of India. Clearly, the selectors have adopted a bit of a different philosophy, a horses for courses mentality in their selection. From your experiences of playing over there, is it a no-brainer that we do play two spinners? Uh, I, I definitely think so. If we've got two quality spinners to take, I don't think you take a spinner just to take a spinner. They've got to be, they've got to know what they're doing. And I think taking Stephen O'Keefe would be a great option, um, just purely on the shape that he gets on the ball. You know, 
Um, I know that before we started this interview, we wanted to talk about bowling spin in India and the shape that he gets in the ball is very similar to they get. There's a lot more side spin and a bit of undercut. So his spin is very variable, um, which is what the Sri Lankans and the Indians do quite well. They get the ball just off off the tilt, which some spin and some don't. And that, they don't even know when, when it's happening, whether it's going to spin or not. So Stephen O'Keefe has that opportunity. Hopefully he'll be injury-free to to do what he does, which is I think India is going to suit him the best. You know, he's not very tall. He's going to be quite low. Um, use the variable bounce and the variable spin to his advantage because that's how he basically gets his wickedness in Australia. He's very accurate. If one doesn't spin, he hits a lot of people on the front pad and if it spins, he catches the edge. He just, you know, he, guys like Nathan Lyon or, or myself, we had a lot of overspin, which mm-hmm. made spin predictable. We sort of spun the same amount in every ball, whereas he's a lot more variable and that that's what takes wickets in India, that variance of bounce, spin um, and also speed off the wicket. So, I think he's going to be a really good, um, you know, partner in crime there for Nathan Lyon, and hopefully Nathan's learnt from his last tour to Sri Lanka about the different sort of spin angles on the ball. Which I know in the last test in Sri Lanka, I was watching, um, he had a lot more side spin on the ball, which made then his spin again a little bit um, more unpredictable. Which was good to see that he actually adjusted to that. It's going to be really intriguing and fascinating to see how the Aussies it cope with the Indian conditions and. I'm going to I think use... the batters are going to have the biggest, you know, whether they're going to be able to do the work. Um, you know, you talk about how flat the wickets are here. You know, we get lazy with our footwork and we can just hit through the line of the ball if we don't make the fire of the ball. But in India and Sri Lanka, it's just going to beat the bat. So um, we'll see who we take. It'll be interesting to see how someone like Renshaw, um, who sticks his front leg out right in front of the stumps and also Hanscom, who likes to play back a lot. Um, we'll see how they go in India. Well, there we have it, part one of our interview with Jason Crazier. Anything there of interest, Merv? I think the whole thing was interesting. It was great insight into spin bowling, and um, I just like the way that he backed up what I said about uh, Stephen O'Keefe. Um, he's <laughs> going to be uh, low. He's got a low arm action, doesn't get much bounce or variable bounce, and he bowls very accurately. So uh, I like the way the man thinks, to be honest, Tristan. Always nice to get a pat on the back, even if you are as experienced <laughs> and long in the tooth as you are, Merv. Uh, we're going to head to a uh, break. Exactly. Uh, Mark Howard from Channel 10 to join us next to preview the Renegades and the Stars. And we've got part two of that chat with Jason Crazier on the way too. At Stumps right across Australia, Merv Hughes with Tristan Fernanda back with a whole lot more very soon. Knocks him over with pace, real pace. And that is huge. That's the biggest one tonight. On the roof. Full pitch and bang. Bang, bang, bang. It's gone. Welcome to Stumps. Yes, nice to have your company on Stumps, as it always is. Tristan Fernanda back in the host chair, Merv Hughes along for the ride, and, well, (laughs) a celebratory day. The Australians in good form once again against a a disappointing Pakistan side, you'd have to say. A whitewash of the series, and the one-day series commences next week in Brisbane. News hot off the press. Bailey and Finch out. Stanlake and Chris Lynn get an opportunity in the Aussie one-day side. Merv, in a moment, Mark Howard to join us. But uh, yes. the Renegades and the Stars, this rivalry is building very quickly and there's no love lost between the two franchises. Ah, the green and the red. Yes, they're, they're poles apart for two Melbourne teams, aren't they? And I suppose it's a little bit like um, Thunder and, and the Sixers. Uh, they're, they're just looking for that... Um, Home, hometown support and, and hometown turf. It's a, it's a big turf war. So, yeah, listen, it's going to be a fantastic game tonight. And I think it was unexpected 
that um, the Renegades knocked them over at the MCG and coming to Etihad Stadium um, with the quality of spin that the the Renegades have got, it's going to be tough for the the um, Stars again. Well, let's get cracking to Howie. He's a Network 10 commentator. He's the head of the Howie Games podcast. We'll talk more about that in due course. But I tell you, Merv, part of the reason the Big Bash is so successful has been the, the fantastic commentary of Network 10. And as we welcome Howie now to the show, Howie, good to talk to you. It's unfamiliar territory for you tonight because you're out with the people. I've got a night off. Uh, I've got my first night off for two weeks, and I promised my kids, uh, Tristan and Merv, great to speak to you guys, and I've taken to their first game of Big Bash. So we're here at Etihad Stadium, where it is currently 715 degrees with the roof closed. <laughs> it's yeah. here at the moment. The Big Penguin, who'll be looking forward to that. Well, the Big Penguin rolled in as the Stars, man, and the Pickle, my seven-year-old, said, no, no, I go for the Stars. Then she met Finchie and went a bit weak at the knees, and now she told me she's on the Renegades. But that's the thing about the Big Bash, isn't it? The kids uh, just absolutely love it. I look at the crowd now. My kids are that excited to come to the cricket. And you talked about the success of the Big Bash, uh, T. I, I guess that's why, because kids love it. Uh, families love it. It's just, yeah, it's just a ripping event. Now, Howie, I've got an answer for or solution for your problem. What you do yes. is you get uh, two sizes, so your shirt sizes, sew them into each other. So when they turn it inside out, they can follow either team. So you, yeah, you sew them in. Speed. So you've got that. So you've always been a thinker, Merv. I've always said oh. that about you. You're a solutions man. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Now, obviously, Channel 10 and um, be very happy with the, the coverage. A lot of people watching it. There's, yes, there's a lot of people going to the, the grounds, but there's been big viewership on, on Channel 10. Yeah, it has, Merv. I think last year, I think TV stations are generally happy, really happy if a show increases by 2 or 3%. Um, the Big Bash last year went up 24%, which is absolutely extraordinary. I think it's because of the entertainers. I think if you just saw Brad Hodge last night with a microphone on for an over just talking about exactly what was happening, it's that type of access, and the players deserve full credit for that. They put on a magnificent show, and we just sort of jump on the coattails of that. Um, and you can't go wrong, really. It's just such a wonderful entertainment package. I was up at Spotless the other night when the Sydney Thunder were gone, and all of a sudden, Owen Morgan hits the kicks off the final ball. And I love how blokes like Mark War, as you know, Merv, he's a pretty relaxed character. He's jumping around, <laughs> screaming in the commentary box, and that, that shows me the impact the Big Bash has had. Well, that's a big thing, Howie, too, is that we've get, we're getting access to the players, but we're also getting access to your commentary team. So Ricky Ponning, Adam Gilchrist, Mark War, those guys that people think they know because of how they played the game, we're getting a real insight into their uh, passion and love of the game, but also into their personalities. See, Merv, you're an analyst. That's what you are. You're an analyst. You've got right <laughs> to the hub of the whole issue. And I, I sat down with our boss, Dave Barham, four years ago when Ricky Ponting was about to come in, and our security guy said, oh, yeah, Rocky Ponting's downstairs. And I thought, oh, wow, we've never done cricket. He signed with us, and he's going to think we're absolute clowns. And the boss said to me, you know, people don't know who Ricky Ponting is. If we can show Australia who Ricky is and who Gilly is and Fleming Jr., who they are as people, and that they're really relaxed, friendly, happy laid-back, funny characters, then we will have done our job. And that's why I was just so stoked when Ricky sang the Mark War Barmy Army song on the coverage <laughs> a week or two ago. Because, Merv, that, that, cause you're laughing because you know the real Ricky Ponting. It's priceless. I think, yeah, I think now Australia knows the real Ricky Ponting, and we loved him as a cricketer, and now I think we're falling in love with him as a, as a person and as a bloke and as a father. And, yeah, that, uh, that's, that's, that's the best part of the Big Bash for me, the fact we now know these superstars as blokes, not just cricketers with helmets on. 
How are now the? Get, oh, sorry, sorry, Tris. Just before we get off that, um, got to get off 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 you guys in the commentary box and get down to you know what's mm. making Channel Ten is at the, at the players now. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I would like your opinion, not. Not that opinion of Ricky Ponting that you normally go with. Well, I've avoided opinions for five straight years on the Big Bash, (laughs) but I'll give them to you, Merv, as an exclusive. Um, Just uh, for for mine, any surprises this year um, from from a team-wise that's come out of the the blocks or from any individual players thus far in the the Bash? Darcy Short for the Hurricanes. You know, he's he's missed out three times, but his two innings have been phenomenal. Um, and vice versa to that, on the, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a positive man, Merv. On the negative uh, front, I keep just being shocked when Kumar Sangakara gets out under 20. You know, this is one of the best players we've seen. But let's stick to the positives. I think Darcy Short's been the standout for me. A month ago, no one knew who his name was, and now people are saying yes. maybe he should be in the T20 squad, and there's a benefit of the Big Bash. And, and with the positive, uh, as you said, you want to stick to the positives, but there are some disappointments. Um, mm. Basically, just I reckon it's just as... Just as you think you're getting a, uh, your finger on the pulse with things, um, you think the stars are going to go well and you know they get beaten by the Thunder. <laughs> you think the Thunder are just about gone after last year and it was a fantastic win for them last year. And they, as you said, they come from nowhere to beat the stars and the strikers started badly and they're starting to turn their season around. So there's still a lot of interest in, in what's happening uh, going forward. Is that a question or a statement, Merv? I thought you hit me with questions. Oh. Yeah, well, that was a question. I'm just looking for your opinion. And you, you, I know how you'd like to dodge. Um, no, okay, listen. Uh, you, you, you like to throw back in people's faces <laughs> when you haven't got your own opinion, you've got Ricky's, but I'm just looking for your opinion, mate. Well, if you ask me who I think is going to win the competition, Merv, I think the Scorchers. I think, like, they haven't yeah. got Paris, they haven't got Berendorf, they haven't got Cool Denial, they haven't got Voges at the moment, yet they front up. They're almost impossible to beat at home. Um, I think the Scorchers are the team to beat. I think the Stars will be shattered. Because they're going to lose, you know, Maxwell. They're going to lose uh, probably Zampa, Faulkner, these guys out of their team. This was yep. the time of year when they were going to be need to winning games. So they need to get going the stars. But if I had to pick a winner, it would be the Scorchers. Because Langer, is just, he's a genius. He just puts blokes out on the park who you haven't heard of to get the job done. And, and conversely with that, there's been a... Well, within the, the bad news of Finch missing out of the one day, so that's great news for the Renegades. Yeah, I just spoke to Finchie. Um, He'd be uh, just down on the ground. Well, well, he is, but he's, you know what Finchie's like? He, he's about yeah. forward, not backwards. And he's like, you know, you know, he's shattered not to be in the one-day squad, but he's like, right, I, I want to take the Renegades to the title. So that's the type of bloke Aaron Finch is. As a Renegades fan, you'd love to see Finchie playing for the one-days, but for the Renegades team, it's a massive, massive result for them. Um, I reckon they'll probably be in the final against the Scorchers, by the way. They got Narine, um, who I saw in the Caribbean. He can be unplayable at times. Hog's fantastic. I've just seen Peter Siddle in the net. He's bowling his four overs, so he's hoping to play in a week or so. You get Jimmy Pattinson in there, Whew, that's a good team. Well, Pattinson's playing tonight, isn't he? Yeah, he is, he is. So, And, we, you know, it is that hot and humid here, Merv. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not swinging the ball a fair bit in the first over. So I hope they open with Pattinson rather than opening with the spinners, which they've done throughout the comp. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, normally, uh, Tommy Cooper has been opening, and they've, they've opened with him with success. And I reckon that's one thing that we've learned. We spoke to Benny Lachlan earlier in the show about it, Howie, is that it's a pace-off bowler seem to get the job done. So if it's a pace-off bowlers that are getting the job done, that's not going to sort of rub well with uh, James Pattinson, who relies on pace and swing to get through the batsman. Yeah, you're spot on. But if you're bowling 145 click out swingers move, I don't care who's out in the middle. <laughs> it's going to test you. You know, you're like, you know what I mean? Like, if, you, if you're if yeah. truly elite, you know, we've seen Paddy Cummins get belted, as you say, but when he's on, yep. most unplayable. Yeah, he's on. So I think this, 
you know, I still think there's a massive place in the game for the genuine quick. And I've got one more for you before I let Tristan finish off. Um, yes. It's great that the, the Australian selectors, and, and I, I know you guys get into Mark War a fair bit um, mm. in, in the commentary box, but they're taking note of what the guys are doing in the one day. As, um, Billy Stanlake, his selection in the, in the one day side has virtually come off the back of what he's done in this Bing Bash. Yes, he's done a little bit in, uh, well, he, he, he had a pretty good um, uh, one day series at the start, but his name's back up in highlights now because of what he's doing in the, in the Big Bash. Oh, absolutely no doubt about it. Um... You know, and he's a perfect example. He's seven foot fifteen. He bowls at one hundred and forty-five, and he can bowl outswing, and he's got that steepling bounce. So, again, like Darcy Short, you haven't heard of Billy Stanlake unless you're watching the Big Bash, and now he's in the one-day squad. I heard the strikers. I flew back with Hodgie this morning, and he was pumped for the young man. But conversely, he's like, "Wow, I haven't got my opening bowler." And you know, it'd be it'd be wonderful. And I think it's probably impossible. And you probably know what I'm going to say. I think it'd be wonderful if there was a gap in the calendar where. Everyone was available. I don't think it'll happen, and the competition doesn't really need it, like I think it did over the first couple of years. But, you know, you'd love to see some of these blokes playing finals. Yeah, that you certainly would, Howie. Uh, before we let you go, I'm sure you want to get back mm. to your kids, so we are grateful for your time. Uh, can you recall someone in your time commentating the Big Bash playing as consistently well in this form of the game as Chris Lynn? Because some of no. his clean hitting is quite outstanding. Oh, that was just extraordinary the other night at the Gabba. 11 sixes, and you have a look at the team... He's third, he's third he's on third. the team list. And obviously his own team's ahead of him, Merv. It's only his team and uh, and one other that's ahead of him. No, I've never seen anything like it. And when Mark War comes to me at the ground, he says, you know, I think that's the best hitting I've ever seen. And Mark War is a perfectionist and a harsh judge of a cricketer. Yeah, that shows me, you know, Chris Lynn, I saw him do it in the caravan. He'd just come to the crease, leave the pool, walk to the crease and just bang, bang, bang. He's probably the cleanest hitter in world cricket at the moment. Um, the only slows on him for the IPL are whether he can hit the slower balls on the Indian pitches, but I'd be back at him. He's a, yeah, he's a phenomenon. And the ratings the other night, when Lynn were batting, they went through the roof because mm. it just gets around on Twitter now. It's like, wow, you just see Lynn Sanity and people are like, I've got to watch it. You can see the ratings. It just goes... <laughs> Channel 10, the smiling executives, they were very, very happy. I think they're in love with Chris Lynn too. Well, speaking of social media and also podcasts and the like, the, the cricketing mm. community has got behind your podcast, The Howie Games. As we let you go, we'll allow you a shameless plug because you've spoken with Ricky Ponting. You've got Brendan McCullum coming up. Some of the greats of world cricket and even some avid cricket uh, followers uh, have joined you on the program. Just tell us a little bit about how that came about and what you seek to achieve from it. Yeah, The Howie Games is a a free podcast. And, um, mate, I just got sick of doing interviews with people for five minutes and then throwing to a song or an ad break. And it hit me at the Grand Prix when I interviewed Lewis Hamilton for 20 minutes, one of the most famous athletes on the planet, and we can only get four minutes into the coverage. And I was like, ah, oh, bugger this. So basically it's sit down and chat with these people, from Greg Norman to Danny Green to, to Adam Gilchrist to Ricky Ponting, um, Brendan McCullum, you mentioned it last week, there's 20 episodes out at the moment, and it's just a chat about them and their life. And um, because you, you're one-on-one and you have a relationship with these people, you can talk about things that they don't necessarily normally talk about. Um, and you need to listen to the Ricky Pond one because it'll give you a completely different impression of him. Yes, he talks about cricket and what it means to him, but he talks about his upbringing and how it was sort of the wrong side of the tracks. And then he talks about his young bloke, which is not public knowledge, but it is now because he's put it on the record that his young bloke Fletch got really sick and he's okay, everything's fine now, but Rick gets really emotional about it. And, starts crying and you don't normally see that from Ricky Ponting so I just hope sports fans or even fans of people that just like a good story can jump on the Howie games and, and hopefully 
be interested in people in the past that they may not have had an interest in. I sat down with Michael Clark, and you know, people are negative about Michael Clark, and I have that many messages on social media saying, "Wow, if that's the real Michael Clark, I love him." And that's, you know, if that's what the podcast does, then I couldn't be happier. Well, it does give a fantastic and fascinating insight into what makes a number of people tick. I have to commend you uh, for that ponding interview because it was enthralling listening. Uh, how are you, a gem? Keep up the good work on Channel 10's coverage because it is going gangbusters. And uh, we appreciate you just your fervour and enthusiasm for cricket and uh, for joining us tonight. Have a great night uh, out at Etihad Stadium with the kids and somehow keep cool. Yeah, cheers, Tristan. And uh, the big, pecklin, big uh, penguin and the pickle are going off, Merv. So the big penguin is very thankful for that little present you gave him as well. He loves it. So oh, good thanks, on guys. Him. I love your show as well. You blokes are superstars. You've got the best show going around. Good on you, Howie. Mark Howard there, uh, Merv. He's a, a good man. and uh, oh, He's a great man. I'm, I'm still waiting for the uh, phone call for the Howie Games. Obviously, um, I'm, I'm <laughs> He's lost your number, Merv. Two, yeah, two points. Two points. I, I reckon it's, it's great. The Howie Games gives you an insight into to players. Like you said, you interview people for 2025. 30 minutes and it gets cut to go to air and it's four or five minutes so to be able to have the the whole interview i reckon is fantastic and the second thing that came out of that conversation i'm not sure whether you picked it up or not tristan Mm -hmm. but we've got a bit of a problem with billy stanlake's um height because uh benny lachlan said he was nine foot (laughs) twelve and how he said he's seven foot fifteen so i'm just not sure how tall he is he's he's just a monster he's a giant (laughs) he's He's a big friendly giant hey move we're going to get off to a break on the other side of this part two of our chat with jason crazier talking about the philosophies of bowling spin in india and also teaching the next crop of future spinning stars listening to Stumps. And we're in the home stretch here on Stumps. Tristan Fernanda with Merv Hughes. Great to catch up with Mark Howard and it's going to be a fascinating game. The Renegades taking on the Stars from Etihad Stadium in the not too distant future. Well, we return to our interview with Jason Crazier. I had the pleasure of catching up with him earlier today about the art of spin bowling and we turned our attention to nurturing the next crop of uh, future stars and I started this part by asking him about the philosophies that the Indians who've had great success in uh, spinning ranks, uh, the philosophy they adopt when teaching spinners. The way that myself and Nathan Lyon have been taught to bowl is to try and have overspin on the ball um, and try and, because our wickets don't spin a lot, we're trying to spin the ball as often as we can off the wicket. So we try and get sort of like a 45 degree angle seam and work on spin and bounce. Whereas in India, the ball already spins and it already has variable bounce. So the way that they, that they're taught, which is what some of the spinners from the global cricket school, which is where we went in Mumbai, they always just talk about how the ball arrives. So when they're bowling, they don't have to have a lot of revs on the ball, but they use the crease. They use different arm angles where they release the ball. So it's all about how the ball arrives and then the ball will spin and bounce variably anyway. Um, which that means that their seam is a different position, whereas we're trying to get over the top. They're almost just buying side spin, but the ball comes from a different spot every time at a different pace, at a different flight, um, flatter, quicker, and you know from low arm to high arm. So they vary that, whereas we try and just constantly get spin on the ball, um, which is really hard to, for us, like someone like Nathan Lyon or Stephen O'Keefe, to unlearn because our wrist is just... We've been bowling so many balls with our wrist in that position. They almost bowl palm first, whereas we sort of bowl with our palm side on to get that overspin. So there's a different philosophy with that just purely because of the conditions that they've got 
already going to spin, doesn't matter how many revs you have on it. So, you know, you look at someone like Suresh Rayner, he's not a number one spinner, but he just bowls side spin at different places on the crease and at different speeds, and he's not even a spinner, and he can take wickets there because one will just rag or one won't rag and almost go the other way, and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. He just puts it in the right area. So mm-hmm. their accuracy and their speed and the way the ball arrives before it spin is what their biggest focus is. A former Test spinner, director of Elite Cricket uh, Coaching Group, Jason Crazy, joining us for a chat on stumps this afternoon. Jason, talk to me about the actual standard of coaching generally in the country because, uh, I mean, you look at so many kids who have perhaps tried to bowl spin but been discouraged because they've been tonked a little bit. Do you think a lot of junior coaches out there have been reluctant to allow their kids to bowl spin because it's... Uh, it's something they're largely unfamiliar with. One hundred percent. I've had you know kids who have started bowling spin with me at um, as you mentioned. I, I run a coaching business in Sydney called Elite Cricket, and they turn up and start bowling spin. And then one of the games they'll bowl a medium pace ball and get a wicket. And then the coach will tell them to continue with that. There is just no patience with it, and there's not a lot of knowledge. And I got into coaching because of that reason. I did my level two in Tasmania just before I come back to Sydney three years ago. And the guys that were at this level, and I don't want to sound harsh, but there was myself, Ben Hiffenhouse, um, Luke Butterworth were there, and then the rest of the guys were, the, were going to be the next generation of coaches that were going to be coaching the next Ricky Ponting in Tasmania. And, and these guys couldn't bowl or bat. They had no knowledge of it. And that's where I decided that if we need people in the know and know how to coach and at least be able to pass, you know, coach the coaches of junior teams, which is something that my business does. We go and run coaching sessions for junior teams and um, explain to the coaches who are normally just keen parents or someone that just has to do the role because everyone's so busy in Sydney. We coach them and tell them the, 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 the base things that they should be doing at training and how they should be encouraging whatever the, you know, the kid's passionate about doing, um, you know, persisting with spin or hitting the ball straight and playing four shots off the back foot, not the front foot. Some really basic stuff that they don't get. So that's part of our business model to try and go around and coach the coaches that are coaching the junior teams around Sydney. So that's basically why I got into it. Just there was a lack of really good knowledge in these at this level two course that I did, and it, and it just was quite scary that some of the best young talent in Tasmania were going to be taking. We're going to be coached by some of these guys, which um, you know I don't want to be disrespectful, but they they didn't have them, they couldn't bowl, which I don't know how they're going to keep <laughs> coach the bowlers who in these junior teams they have to bowl an over each or two overs each, and I don't know how they're mm. going to coach it. So I decided to get into coaching. Oh, completely understandable, and and you should be commended on actually doing something mm. about it. Which brings us uh, as we wrap up to your business. Tell us about the upcoming school holiday programs for anyone out there who might be keen on some more tailored coaching. And you are trying to get a tour up to India in April, I think, from the top yeah. of your head. Yeah, well, as I said, I come back to Sydney about three years ago, almost four now, and started doing my own coaching when I was playing for a club bossman here in Sydney. And then um, Mark Atkinson had, had uh, developed... Sorry, he, he created Elite Cricket and had been running for about 13 years. And he was selling the business, and that was a perfect opportunity for me to get in. Um, and I bought the business, and I've I've really taken it to another level, I think. Um, basically, we do private coaching almost all year round at a couple of different centres, a couple of private schools and 
an indoor centre where I've got a bunch of coaches that I coach to sort of tr- coach like me, um, just the basic, really, the really basic stuff because we do like, get a lot of kids. And then during the school holidays, we have school holiday camps for 7 to 11 age group and also a senior high performance program for 12 to 15 year olds. They're a whole lot of fun, but they're learning a lot. You know, a lot of these programs and, and camps in Sydney are just babysitting sort of things, but I push our coaches to not do that. If they're going to come to our camps, we want them to have fun, but learn a lot. So, you know, we have our special sessions where we go through the ins and outs, and this is with eight, seven, eight-year-olds, and, and tell them all the, the, the stuff that they probably wouldn't learn off a rep coach, just the knowledge that I've sort of received. And, you know, I've been around the best coaches in, in Australia and the world, um, and I'm trying to actually get that information that they get at the Australian level and, and bring it to a, a seven-year-old and give them that early hint and hopefully the v- development comes along a lot quicker. So as you said, January 16th, we start two weeks of school holiday programs that are at um, Riverview College at Lane Cove and then Shaw School at Northbridge, Birchgrove Oval um, and we've also got an Eastern Suburbs um, clinic at Wallara Park at Rose Bay. So they're a mixture of two and three day programs when um, and then also the senior high performance program, which is a two day thing for the older kids, which is basically just we, we train them like they do at I got at uh, the Australian Cricket Academy mm-hmm. and state training sessions. So it's really high performance stuff. We get video analysis, we get some appearances in. We unfortunately haven't got any appearances just because of how busy the big bash is this year. So but hopefully in the future years we get a few more. We've had Shane Watson. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, part two of our interview with Jason Crazier. If you'd like to hear the full-length interview, head to the Stumps podcast. It'll be up in about half an hour's time. But we do thank Jason Crazier, who is extremely generous with his uh, time. He opened up, Merv, and hopefully found that a little bit insightful uh, as well as enjoyable. Um, yeah, listen, he's fantastic. A couple of things come out of that. When you when you said you can listen to the rest of it, I thought you were going to say on the Howie games, but, uh, <laughs> on the podcast. But what he said is that a lot of people, for me, a lot of people sit back and criticise a program and do nothing about it. He sat back and said, it's not getting done, I can do better. So he's put his hand up. Basic is best. Um, he said that, splitting the age groups up from 7 to 11 and 12 to 15. And the first thing he said about it is, have fun. We've got to get and out of hopefully here. Hopefully you learn a bit. Well, okay, time mate, flies when one. you're having fun. You have a good one. Enjoy <laughs> the stars and the renegades. We'll catch you next week here on Stubbs. Cheers, Chris. See you guys.